Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that silver train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Hello, everybody. Today, we have a special guest here. She has one year sobriety the other day. No more whining. Say hello. Hi, Drifter. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you ready for this? I don't think I'll ever be ready, but I'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. How do you want to start? Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, how I grew up. Um, I I actually feel like um, I have a, a different story than most people's stories I've heard in recovery, um, which is okay. We all come from different backgrounds. And I hope to kind of bring it, bring it to light, uh, a demographic of people that I think struggle with addiction that um, maybe don't get help for it or continue hiding it. So I grew up in a very strong Christian home. Uh, by strong, I would also say legalistic, um, very judgmental of people who didn't believe the way we did very, very conservative. Um, unlike most people who have shared on here, I was not raised around alcohol at all. In fact, it was not allowed in our home. Um, it was, uh, I, I remember asking my mom what the liquor store was the first time. And her response was, it's a place where evil people go. And they, when they come back out the doors, they're crazy. So that was kind of the, uh, I, I guess you could say brainwashing that I got growing up. Um, despite that, I had great loving parents and um, trusted what they taught me. So it, it, it kind of stuck with me for a while. Um, it was very confusing though, because uh, we had family members that uh, were alcoholics and they weren't allowed to stay at our house, but I loved them. And so there was that kind of like, well, I don't really understand this. How can, how can I love them? And yet we're judging them for what they do. And uh, so it was just kind of formative um, for me in the way that I ended up becoming an addict because there's a lot, it, it taught me to lie and hide um, who I really was. Um, I, I don't know that I ever felt like I measured up to the standard that I was supposed to. Um, and I'm naturally a perfectionist and a people pleaser. So internally there was a huge struggle. I, I never felt like I was good enough, um, from the time I was fairly young. So, um, without really any trauma in my life, I would say, that I've been an addict since I was seven years old. That is when I started hiding food in my room. Um, by second grade, third grade, I was an obese child. Um, so that, that was sort of my, my intro to addiction and hiding. Uh, by the time I was in junior high, high school, I was full-blown anorexic. Um, another addiction that you can hide pretty well. Wow. You went from obesity mm -hmm. to anorexia. Anorexic. Yeah. I, uh, I lost, I think it was 60 pounds the summer between my eighth grade and ninth grade year. Um, 
and what's funny about that is really with no intervention from my parents, they, they just kind of didn't talk about it. They didn't, they didn't seem concerned, didn't mention it. Um, so yeah, struggled with anorexia and bulimia through pretty much till the time I got married. Um, and then, and, and through all of that, I, I was trying to numb that, that need for perfection, but never measuring up, never, never attaining that. Um, all while going to church, um, saying that I trust God, um, all, all that stuff. So it, it's kind of interesting. Um, so then when I met my husband, um, I, I say that I finally felt like I was enough. He loved me for who I was. He knew everything about me. He didn't judge me. Um, he, he's an amazing, amazing man. We actually just celebrated 18 years last week. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, and I, I finally felt that, yeah, I think I'm good. I, I think I can give up all this other stuff that I'm clinging to. Um, and uh, I think I'm good. And uh, it was a, a wild ride after we, after we got married. I had three children very very quickly. Um, had three kids under the age of two. And yes, that is possible if you throw a set of twins in there. (laughs) So uh, life was insane. And that, that need for perfection uh, snuck its way back in. And I was determined to be perfect mom, do it all, do it all. Uh, Not just have my kids look good going to school, but have the homemade cupcakes at every event and help in the classroom and do everything, volunteer for everything, was still going to church, uh, do everything right there. And um, I I think it just all got to be too much because inside I still felt like I wasn't enough. Um, I was beating my body. I've always been very athletic. And after having kids, I, I got into extremely amazing shape, the best shape I've ever been in. Um, I was doing the sprint distance triathlons and was, um, I, I say this to help you understand where I'm going with it. Um, basically thought I looked the best I've ever looked in my life. Perfect. In my, my estimation. And right during that time, um, with a house full of little kids, um, found, uh, found out that my husband was pretty heavily addicted to pornography. And so with my background and with feeling like I finally attained this, this perfect for my husband and for myself, and then, oh, still not enough. Uh, I'll never be enough for him. Um, and it just, I'd say that was really the beginning of um, a pretty deep cycle with addiction of just feeling like I, I've done everything right. I, I've, I've gone to church. I've been good. I've, so I really didn't drink that much, um, through my teenage years. The few times I did, I was scared to death of it because I liked it so much. So I kind of stayed away from it, but, um, I started drinking more heavily around that time, uh, just to numb those feelings of, um, not being enough. And, and I, I don't want to put, put my, uh, husband in a bad light either he he's an amazing guy who went right away and got help for 
for what he was struggling with. And we worked through that. Um, but it still just was something that was pretty deep in there for me um, that I, I struggled with trust and just feeling like, um, yeah, like I've repeated probably too many times. I just was not, not ever going to be enough. Um, and life doesn't get easier. Um, so, so things started to get more difficult. Um, uh, I think it's been about seven years ago. I injured my back pretty bad and that was in the midst of being very active. I loved, I mean, I probably worked out two hours a day and was really, sorry, I feel like I'm all over the place. Um, no, you're focused. I should, you're I, I should, should go back and say that I chose to be a stay-at-home mom. So I, I was a full-time stay-at-home mom, fully committed, you know, like in the Christian community, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to not pursue a career and stay home with your children. And yeah, it, it's really hard when you, when you, when you grow up hearing like, we don't do it like them and they're doing it wrong and they're bad and they're evil and they're going to go to hell. And so, yeah, it, it really does. It, it really is a formative thing um, growing up. So anyway, uh, was a stay-at-home mom, super active, super athletic, um, ended up injuring my back pretty bad, uh, went to the hospital. I was moderately drinking at this time, um, left the hospital with a bottle of opiates and a bottle of benzos and um, w was completely hooked. I, oh man, my doctor continued to prescribe them to me for five years, <laughs> uh, like full highest dose allowable when they, when they really started cracking down on the opiates. Um, my doctor actually told me, oh, well, you're, because you've been on them for so long, you're kind of grandfathered in. I can keep giving them to you at the, <laughs> the high numbers. So it, it I basically, I took them for pain for a very short amount of time. And then I learned to play my doctor and I learned to uh, not take any for a few days so that I could take 10 the next day and get high. And I was drinking pretty heavily on top of that. So at that point I was numbing the loss of like, I couldn't work out like I did. Um, I just felt like things were falling apart. Couldn't do the things I wanted to, wasn't good enough for my husband, still struggling with that mentality. And, uh, the drinking really started ramping up, um, at that point while I was using. And right in the midst of that, one of my best friends, uh, committed suicide and it hit pretty close to home for me because, uh, she, we had a very similar similar life. She was married with young kids, same age as mine. Um, alcohol was involved and it, it, it just, I went to a really dark place. I, I actually, it's scary to admit it, but one of my first reactions was, was that I was jealous. I wish I could just be done. I, I wish that I could, um, yeah, just go away. Just be done. I'm not good enough for anyone. And by this time, with the alcohol and the opiates, opiates, mm -hmm. uh, you've got to be. That's causing your depression too. I'm oh sure. yeah. Oh yeah. 
and and I I should make it really clear too. I I was still a you know an upright Christian woman going to sure. church, serving at church, hiding all of this, like like no one had a clue. I mean, yeah, I would I liked to go out with friends and drink, but I never drank heavily when I was out. It was always alone at home. Um, I was definitely a a lone drinker. Um, so yeah, it really ramped up at that point. The hiding got out of control. Um, you've, I mean, we've heard it on most of the podcasts too. It's, it's like a full-time job going to different liquor stores so that the clerks won't think ill of you. And, um, I started buying the boxed red wine because it didn't need to be refrigerated once it was open and it fit perfectly in my filing cabinet that had a key that locked. Um, even other shit like my my husband uh, is pretty much just a one or two beer kind of guy. So he would buy like a 24 pack of Bud Light and it would last him over a month because <laughs> he didn't drink every day. Well, I would go through half a 24 pack in one night and have to run out the next morning once he went to work, buy a new one, I'd hide <laughs> the other 12 and like, it was just ridiculous on a daily basis so that he wouldn't know I had drank half the case. And I just shake my head thinking back now. And that was only a year ago. Like, it's just really amazing. The, the depth that we, that we go to, to feed the addiction. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. And I had, I had tried to quit so many times. I'd say, I'd say two years before I got sober, I started Googling, am I an alcoholic? Um, and it's funny because the, one of the biggest responses you get is if you're Googling, am I an alcoholic? You're probably <laughs> right. an alcoholic. Like normal drinkers don't Google that. <laughs> right. And I started ordering like sobriety books. Um, I had re read Annie Grace's book like a year and a half before I even got sober. Um, some different memoirs. Two of the ones I love is uh, Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. And um, oh, what's the other one? Uh, Girl Walks Out of a Bar. Those two really hit home with me. Um, two, two women that struggled in a similar way that I did. So yeah, I was reading that stuff years before I got sober. I, I, I knew I had a problem. It wasn't like I was in denial. I knew I had a problem. I just didn't, honestly, I, I did not want to be honest about it because of the depth of my lying. And so few people in my life knew my husband hardly knew. Um, he worked shift work. So he would go to bed super early cause he's up, up at 4am. And so I would do my bulk of my drinking in the evening. Um, so he, he really didn't even know about it. And I was, I'd say I was definitely a binge drinker, uh, blackout almost every night. Um, high functioning though, I could get up and still get my kids to school and look good at church on Sunday. And, um, it, it's really shameful for me, honestly, like I've really struggled with the shame aspect of, um, <laughs> I, I don't know, I could tell you some stories, like, like I would get drunk, blackout drunk the night before Saturday night. And then I would get up, go to church, 
throw up in the church bathroom and go up in front of the church and serve communion. <laughs> wow. like, like how messed up but is that? Like, <laughs> it's, it, but it's addiction. Yeah. And it's not us. It's just addiction. Yeah. And I, I bring that up because I think there's a lot of people in the Christian community that are struggling with this. And it is a shameful thing within that community to bring it up. And um, I, I've actually, uh, I guess I'll go into the next, the next section here of when I, when I finally did decide to get sober, it was, um, I've, I think I posted about it. I, I just knew it had to stop. I knew I was either going to die or uh, kill my kids because um, I, I had stooped to the level of getting behind the wheel with them in the car with me. Um, I had even stooped to the level of <laughs> when my older two got their driver's permits, I would use them as my designated driver and they didn't even have their license. So I'd be drunk in the passenger seat and have them drive me all the way across town home from a get together or whatever, like just ridiculous. So I knew that I needed a change and I decided to get honest with my husband about it. I also decided to tell my pastor, which, um, I have an amazing pastor at my church. I told him and his wife, because I knew that if I told, told them that I couldn't get away with it anymore, that then they would know and they, they'd know what to look out for and all that. And I wanted that. I wanted, I wanted people that would hold me accountable. I didn't want to tell my friends that I drank with because they'd just feel uncomfortable about their drinking. Um, they wouldn't hold me accountable. They would want me to, they'd try to get me to keep drinking with them. So I told three people that, that I knew would help me. And um, all three of them were just amazing and supportive. Um, I've never experienced so much grace from people um, just embracing me. And it, it was extremely difficult to do that. It was, a, it, it, that was like the huge, hugest step in my sobriety is being honest. And, uh, and I shared everything with them on just the, the level I had, I had gone with it. Isn't um, that huge though? Grace with, oh, yeah. you know, when you do bust out and tell, cause I have people like that in my life. Yeah. It just makes you want to try harder. It seems like. Yeah. And it was a big risk to tell my pastor because I didn't know, I, was he going to react like the way I, I was raised with judgment and shun me and all that stuff. And, and that's not what I experienced at all. Um, embraced me and wanted me there all the more. And um, that was huge for me. Um, but I wasn't done. I, <laughs> I, I told them all, uh, my husband encouraged me to get professional help. So I made an appointment with a counselor uh, that specialized in addiction. That same day I was able to get in, I went and uh, talked to her and came home and got drunk and drank for two days straight. And at the end of those two days, um, I wanted to end my life. I, I shared this on the zoom on Saturday, but, um, that was kind of my, my turn, my, my true turning point is, uh, I had been honest with three people, didn't want to be honest with anyone else in my life. 
<clears throat> still felt like I couldn't get control of it. Um, drank for two days straight, woke up on April 24th, 2020, and uh, grabbed a handful of pills and a razor blade and sat down in my shower. Wow. And that's um, all I can, all I can think is that God was with me in that moment. And uh, my kids' faces all flashed in my mind. And I couldn't imagine what that would put them through. And um, I, I chose not to. And I knew in that moment, in that moment that um, I couldn't drink anymore. I would not drink anymore. So your kids saved your life. I would say so. Yeah. 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 I, I love my husband deeply, but I honestly like quickly thought, Oh, he, he's so awesome. He can find someone else. He can move on, (laughs) but my kids, it would ruin them because they're, they're all three teenagers as well. And I know how they're already, I mean, it's hard enough just to be a teenager and then to deal with it extra trauma like that I so I'm here and I haven't taken a drink since that day Um, and that was the 24th of April yeah 2020 right in the middle of everything being shut down Um, yeah right at the beginning of the pandemic Um, and I had kind of went off the rails uh, from between March and April with everything being shut down I uh, was just drinking nonstop because I didn't have to drive anywhere. And um, yeah, so it's been really difficult to to work through some of the the shame of how how I lived in my addiction, how I was, I, I hate people that are fake, um, especially within the Christian community. I think that's why so many people hate Christians and don't want anything to do with church. I've heard it my whole life. And I I just am repulsed by that. And I felt like I was that what repulsed me. And so that's, that's been a hard thing to work through. Um, One of the most important things for me in recovery has been dealing with the why, why, why did I hide food in my room at seven years old? Why did I starve myself? Why did I never feel like I was enough? Why did I drink like I did? Um, I think for maybe some people don't need to, I've heard like some people don't like to dig into their past. They don't like to rehash through things, but I, I'm just a, I'm an internalizer. I don't share my true feelings. I can put on that perfect facade and inside I'm just raging. And people always tell me, you come across like you're you're just so laid back and calm. And I'm thinking like, I'm about ready to tear your face off inside. (laughs) Like that's, that's kind of been a struggle my whole life is like, yeah, I can put on that, that cool and collected facade. And so I had to really, really dive deep into all that, all of that stuff. So, um, is this a good time for a break? I'm going to, I think I need a cup of coffee. (laughs) I need some coffee too. Okay. We're back and, uh, we got coffee and let's roll. Sounds good. Um, I, I'm actually going to go 
back a minute because I, I forgot uh, a pretty important detail uh, toward the end of my my drinking. Um, it was a year before I got sober. Uh, my my youngest daughter started having seizures, and uh, that was another another real difficult uh, life situation that really threw me into heavily drinking. And I feel awful about that because that's when she really needed me. Um, and I was so anxious and worked up about all these seizures she was having that I just didn't want to deal with it. Um, so I would drink, they have heavily medicated her, diagnosed her as epileptic. Uh, she actually went almost a year with, with no seizures. The medication was working really well. And then bam, they, they started up again after I had gotten sober and, uh, and that that's been. And those are terrifying. My niece has oh, them and they're... she just drops out and beats. She's uh -huh. hurt herself terribly. Oh yeah. Yeah. My daughter's hit her head and, <laughs> um, it threw me into basically a constant state of anxiety because you never know when one's going to happen and every thump or, and I've got three teenagers. So there's a lot of banging and thumping happening around in our house. And every time I hear that noise, it's just like my whole body tenses up and I'm like, Oh, is she having a seizure? And I, there's been times I run full speed up two flights of stairs and scare her to death. Like she's sitting there like, what's wrong with you, mom? And uh, I'm just freaked out of my mind thinking that she's seizing. So you're living on red alert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stopped sleeping um, uh, and drinking, I thought, was helping me with all of that when really it was it was making it 10 times worse, to be honest. Um, it was just feeding that. I, I think I've heard a quote that it's like alcohol is like pouring gasoline on anxiety. It just it is it just makes it worse and worse. You wake up and you're 10 times more anxious than what you were trying to relieve in the first place. But it lies to you during the day. Oh, here, I'll relieve all that anxiety from you. Yeah. Here, just have a drink and you're going to be okay. Oh yeah. 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 It's a, it's a big liar for sure. Uh, so, so I just wanted to mention that that had started a year before uh, April 24th when I, uh, decided I was done. Um, I also want to want to make sure that people know uh, I've been, I think I came on um, the IAS app when I was about 10 days sober, um, mainly because those, those I, I'm always completely amazed at people that are on there on day zero, like between zero and a week, because I, I didn't go into rehab and I, I wonder if I probably should have I, my detox was awful. Like there's no way I could have been on an app, uh, typing. <laughs> like I, I'm always just so amazed at people that are on there on day zero. I, I had, uh, hallucinations for three days. Um, I, the anxiety is the absolute worst I've ever experienced. Um, I had to have my husband come and like wrap his body around mine. Um, I wanted to kill myself again. Um, because the, it was just something I've never experienced in my life. It was awful. So I didn't even show up on the app till I was 10 days, but I, and I haven't relapsed since I've been on the app, 
but I want to let people know that I tried quitting for two years. Like back when I had said that I started Googling, am I an alcoholic? Like I was trying to, I probably tried to quit over a hundred times without success. So you, I I say that to encourage people that are resetting that um, even though you haven't seen me, seen that struggle publicly from me, like it happened, it, it happened. And it just, I had, I'm a big believer that the difficult things we go through shape who we are. And uh, I think all of that had to happen. I had to, I had to fight that struggle. Like no one could tell me, my husband couldn't tell me. He, he actually would piss me off so bad uh, when we, I'd start drinking, I'd probably be grabbing my fourth beer and he would just simply put his hand on my leg and say, I hope this is your last one. And that would just send me through the, I would look at him and like, fuck you. I'm going to drink 12 more now just because you said that. Right. <laughs> like nobody could tell me. Um, and I think that's true for all of us. Like you have to come to that point on your own. Nobody can make you do it. That's why I think so many people that are forced to go into rehab, they end up relapsing right when they get out because it wasn't their decision. They weren't ready yet. And uh, you've got to come to that on your own, in your own time. And if that takes resetting 100 times on IAS until you get it, then that's what it takes. Um, I think the most important thing is that you get back up and you, you keep trying for it. And, and that's what I did. It was, it was miserable. I made myself miserable for a couple of years trying. Um, I could have got help sooner, but, but I don't think I'd be where I am today if I hadn't, if I hadn't fought through that struggle. So I'm in a weird way. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, okay. So where do so I go now? How did you find the IAS app? How did you find it? Um, I think I Googled, I was looking for an app to keep track of my days. So I was just looking for like a counter, a sobriety counter. And I, I actually didn't even realize there was the community aspect until probably, I don't know, week or so after I started using it just for the day counter and the pledging then I realized that there's this whole community aspect. I was pretty leery of it because I, um, I don't use any social media at all. Um, I don't really put anything out there. So even doing this podcast is a a huge step for me. Yeah. You're way Um, out of your comfort zone, aren't you? Very, very much. So sweating like a pig over here on the other side of the screen. (laughs) It's pretty nerve wracking. (laughs) So is Todd, like Todd's a total uh, introvert. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he did three posts in nine months that's a mm-hmm. total introvert so yeah, yeah you're you're doing something huge here too so thank you yeah and in one way those, those community threads are like an introvert's dream because you can type whatever you want and no one really knows who you are uh you can delete <laughs> you can delete everything you want as often well, as maybe you somebody want. doesn't know what's li- tell people what IA- ias is Okay. So it's a, it's an app called I am sober and uh, really it'll, it'll pop up if you're looking for a sobriety counter, but they have this whole community aspect where you can post uh, whatever you want, really. Um, 
anything you want and people can comment on it. So you build friendships with people uh, over, over, well, over the course of the past year, I've, I've created so many friendships. Um, It's really an amazing thing. I have two really close friends and we're all at the same point, all celebrating a year this week. And it, it's just so emotional to, uh, to feel that close with complete strangers. And what I think it is, is we all understand the struggle. I have people in my real life. Well, it's all real life, but I have people like physically in my life that I've known for 20 years that, that I can't talk to about this. So to have that community where there's people all over the world, I don't even know how many countries are represented, but a lot. And, and to instantly have that understanding, we all get where we're, where we're coming from. And like there's, there's 13 countries right now listening to this podcast. That's awesome. That's 13 so cool. Countries. It's just and, mind boggling sometimes. And it's, it's about. a virtual world. And that's, yeah. what's so crazy is like, cause I'm like you, I don't do social media. And when I first found this community in there, I'm like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. And then you hear about relationships developing online and all this other stuff. And then um, in the real world, people getting married that have met online. And I was like, how could that happen? Yeah. And then now we're in this community, this virtual community with real people, mm-hmm. real life problems. And you get to, you get to spill your beans. Uh, everybody has aliases. You can spill your beans and um, get feedback or, you know, but it's really great communication. Yeah. It's, it's a really unique, amazing thing. It is. Um, so it's been, it's been, I'd say at the top, very key in for me in staying sober. Um, and yeah, I've had moments where I've gone in and deleted everything and thought I was going to leave the app and drifter knows all about that too. <laughs> yes. Um, we all have those moments where just want to disappear again. But um, I wanted to talk about uh, some, some things that have helped me in my sobriety uh, for anyone listening that's struggling um, or anyone that's celebrating years of sobriety that's still struggling um, any, anywhere in between. So like I shared before, I think one of, one of the first things for me was getting honest. Um, and maybe that doesn't apply to everybody for me because my addiction was so hidden. Um, and most of my drinking was done alone that the honesty piece was huge for me and choosing people that I know weren't going to drag me back down into it, but choosing people that I know were going to help me. Um, the counselor that I went and saw that the two days before I had officially quit. Um, that was huge. I saw her for nine months and, uh, that, that was where I really dove into the why behind, uh, why this behavior had been a part of my life for so long. So that was super helpful. I know that's unfeasible for some people cause it's expensive. Um, and then uh, I have to say, and I think that everybody, I, I love this podcast because Drifter has shown that like there's so many different methods that work for different people. 
And uh, I, I'm a big proponent of do what works for you. We're all so different in our personalities and in the way we approach people. And so I was six days sober and I had Googled AA and it was right at the beginning of like the massive shutdown pandemic. And so I, I at six days sober, decided to go to a Zoom AA meeting and it was a local a local club really close to where I live. And that was just amazing. Uh, it was an amazing experience of people that just surrounded me and encouraged me and told me to keep coming back. People giving me their phone numbers in the chat. Um, the second meeting I went to, I had a lady reach out and offer to be my sponsor, which I thought would never happen online. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get a sponsor until I go to an in-person meeting. And uh, it happened right away. I called her right after the meeting and she lived a mile from my house. Wow. And it, it was just like definitely meant to be. And she has been, honestly, I, I quit going to counseling because she's like a free counselor and she has absolutely no training, but she's been <laughs> sober for 10 years and she's just amazing. I, I think I've gotten more out of her than I have from counseling. So she's helped me. I've slowly, very slowly uh, gone, tried to go through the 12 steps. I'm just like reaching the end of my fifth step. So it's taken me a year to get that far, but I think everyone has to go at it at their own pace. And uh, yeah, the, the, the first few steps deal with realizing that we are powerless against al alcohol and uh, basically surrendering to God. And uh, or your higher power, whatever you call him, I call him God. So that's what I'll say here. Me too. Um, sorry if it offends anybody. Um, I that piece was really a big deal for me because I had to uh, get over the the concept of God that was given to me growing up. This angry fire and brimstone God to a gracious, loving God that accepted me. Like I didn't have to be perfect. I talked about perfectionism earlier. I didn't have to be perfect, get every, get all my shit together to go to God. He wants me to go to him exactly how I am in the, in the depth of my total disastrous mess. And that's where he loves me and accepts me. And so that process was huge uh, for me. And I'm going to share uh, a verse that from the Bible uh, that has meant so much to me. I shared it on my one year post. It comes from Psalm 41 through three. And this, I feel like describes, uh, describes where I was at at the beginning. It says, I waited and waited and waited some more patiently knowing God would come through for me. Then at last he bent down and listened to my cry he stopped, he stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. A new song for a new day rises up in me every time I think about how he breaks through for me. And that, I feel like, has described my, my journey with God and overcoming just kind of that, that Christian stigma, um, 
I, I was even, I was really nervous about even sharing about my faith because I felt like, oh, well, I, I might, uh, people may unfollow me or whatever. And then I thought, you know, I don't care. This is, this is how, this is what's worked for me. Um, we all come from different places. I fully respect everyone on IAS, no matter what your beliefs are. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing that we can all understand each other and all uh, glean from each other's experiences. And um, it's every journey is individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, really it doesn't is. matter how we, we get there. No, there. no. So I, in some ways, I feel like it's a miracle that I, I still go to church and still believe in God with, with some of the stuff that was fed to me. But I have this pair of socks that says, I love Jesus and I cuss a lot. <laughs> yeah, <you told laughs> so, that. that, that's kind of a good descriptor for me that, yeah. It, you know, when you're so I, forgiven a lot, it, it mm-hmm. really is, that's huge because yeah. that grace Again, yeah. it comes back down to grace and you're forgiven. Yeah. And that just, that just penetrates um, that wall that you get up trying to be all these other things that you're really not, you know? And, yeah. And oh yeah. I remember, I remember telling you one time, don't lose your faith. You know, yeah. it's one yeah. thing it's important. It really is. No, but a lot of people don't talk about it very much, but that's fine too. So check it out. You got, you're in IAS mm-hmm. and I know you've had some hard times. I mean, you, mm-hmm. your daughter is going through what she's going through. I don't know. Um, did you, did you want to expand on what you've been going through with that? Cause I know there's been a couple of times. Well, there was one time when all this was falling apart, you found yourself standing in front of the, you went into the liquor store, was staring at the liquor, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened so- then? Um, yeah, so things have progressed with my daughter. Uh, I mentioned that she started having a bunch of seizures again. They found a brain tumor and she's actually scheduled for brain surgery at the beginning of the summer. And, um, that's not, that's not easy stuff to, to process. I, I could, I mean, I really wanted to numb, numb the the feelings I had. There's so much uncertainty around that. Um, so many unknowns for her future, uh, so much heart heartbreak over just the fact that she has to go through this as a teenager. Uh, there's just so many emotions around it that I didn't want to feel all that stuff. So I, I feel like I've been a total roller coaster mess on IAS with my posts because some days I just, I feel like I'm so strong and I've got it all together. And then within a few days after that, I just, I'm in such a dark place. I just want to go away and not feel all that, all that. But stuff. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, mm-hmm. look at all of it. I'm, I'm the same. I mean, yeah. you and I both one day were like on top of the world. Yeah. Next day you go look and you can't find anything that we posted. Yeah. And it's that's a roller true. coaster. You're up and down. I mean, we're, you hit all these emotions um, right after your kids were born, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think the the key is to not go away. It's to stay connected. Sure, go ahead and express those up and down emotions, but stay connected with people. Uh, 
who can stand by you through it. And that's what the IAS community has done for sure for me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's been moments that I have gone into the liquor store, stood there with my uh, holding the bottle and uh, walked out. Um, I had an experience that I want to share just last week, actually, uh, days before my one year, um, <clears throat> I had something happen uh, that I won't go into, but I'll just say it was, I was fueled by anger. I was just in such a state of blind rage. Um, I grabbed my key. I, no, I'll go back. I decided to pray because there's this guy on uh, IAS that's always reminding me that to go to my higher power and pray. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm really bad at praying. I, like my mind is all like when you've got kids and I don't know, I, I just can never take the time to quiet myself enough to do that. I'm terrible at meditating, all that stuff. So I, I've been practicing though. I've been practicing. That's one of my goals. Um, so I actually decided, okay, I want to drink. I'm going to pray. And it was as simple as like, God help me. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like God just help me right now in this moment. And then when I was done praying, I decided, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to drink. Like I, I made the conscious decision that I am, I'm going to drink. I'm going to go. So I grabbed my keys. And this was last week. Just last week. Yeah. Grabbed my keys and could not find my purse anywhere. And my husband wasn't home, so I couldn't steal from his wallet. And uh, I, I remembered oh crap, my, my purse is in my daughter's car and she's at work. So I, I went as far as to get in the car and drive 20 minutes to her place of employment. And I didn't want to go in because she has a job that I, I can't really bug her. And uh, I texted her about 15 times. Can you please come out to the car? I just need to get my purse out of your car. I need you to unlock the car because I didn't have an extra set of keys for a car. I sat there parked next to her car at her work for 45 minutes and got zero response from her. She's has a pretty busy job. So I'm just like, I'm willing to drive 20 minutes out of my way, sit there and wait for her to come out. And she still had like four hours on her shift. So I was like, Ugh, there's no way I'm going to sit here for four hours. I calmed down and I drove back home. And when I got home, I, I just was flooded with emotion because I thought I I'm doing all the work. I'm doing my step work. I have people in my life helping me. Um, I have community. I'm doing the right things. I prayed and then it hit me. I prayed and God answered my prayer. He yeah. literally made it so that I like, I, I didn't have a wallet. I didn't have an ID. I had no way of paying for anything. And I was just so overcome with emotion in that moment. And it, it helped me realize that like, just like, even when you don't feel like it, do these things that people are mentioning on IAS, whatever works for you, it will pay off in the most random moments that you're least expecting it. I didn't see that in the moment as being, my higher power stepping in and actually helping me, but he did. And yeah. I, I didn't drink and I made it to a year sober. And if I had had my wallet at home that night, I, 
I, I was in such a bad state of mind. Like there's no telling what I would have done. So. So all those scenarios, everything, it was just like, you were just cut off to where yeah. you couldn't get it. And it oh, which yeah. gave you enough time to think it through. Yeah. And we don't keep it in the house anymore. Um, that's, that's another thing. I know that not everyone uh, has that ability to have that happen, but like I've mentioned earlier, my husband's like a one or two beer kind of guy. He could take it or leave it. Um, and he, he agreed to just not even have it in the house when I got sober. So, so we don't have any in the house. So I, I was really stuck. And um, so, but this I'm whole just, year has been tough for you. It has. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a point also where um, you, you uh, came clean with the opioids too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had continued that. Um, that that I feel like that was like a continuation of the hiding. Like no one will know. Like who will know? Um, I can get away with this. Um, I deserve this. Um, I justified it too because I had a prescription. Um, so there was the justification of oh, well, it's I'm not legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a tough year, and I live in a tough state too. There is. <laughs> I mean, the city I live in, there is either a pot shop or a new microbrewery popping up on every corner. Yes. And if you're at a corner that there's not one, there will be one there next week. Like it is just all around me. So it, it's, it's around you. It's advertised. Um, they've got the, the best experts in the world trying to pre- penetrate your, your mind. Yeah. You know, fortunately you got your husband that's, uh, with you to do that too but you know i remember you mentioned because you're talking about this about not being good enough and this all these different aspects and you wrote a post about that and it it was about the masks mm-hmm. do you remember that one i do yeah it's i think uh i'd say especially for women it it's so easy to project this exterior that we want everyone else to see and um, have something totally different going on inside. I mean, we, we've got to hold so many things together in our life. Um, the, the juggling act of working and raising kids and being a wife, if you are, and um, there, there's just so much pressure on women, I think. And um, I felt that pressure big time. And there's, uh, yeah, like even in my addiction, like I would be the first to volunteer to do something for the PTA or bring fresh homemade whatever to my kid's school first thing in the morning. And then I would pick them up at 3 p.m. drunk in the carpool lane. Like (laughs) there's just this like, I don't know. There's this whole, and we, I think you've talked about before this whole like mommy wine culture uh, or maybe Elaine did somebody did on here that that it's just like, it's everywhere and it's celebrated. It's joked about it's, I mean, you can buy all kinds of t-shirts and cups and every, it's just, it's it's a culture all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, that's been really hard because you can't hide from it. And I, I'd say that's probably why the second six months of this year has been more difficult for me. I think the first six months I was just like, 
all in, um, not to mention we were in lockdown, so I couldn't go out. I couldn't, like we weren't going anywhere. It was easy to avoid it all. Um, being pounded into your brain from every angle when you're out in society. So I could kind of shut that all off being, being at home so much. And then the second six months, everything is opening back up. Um, that's when all this stuff came down with my daughter. Um, yeah. And I, you can't avoid it. Like we can't, we can't say stay sober hoping that we just won't encounter it because it's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. Like I even stopped watching one of my favorite shows on Netflix because there was so much alcohol in it. And then I thought like, I have to get past this. Like I should be able to watch a show and maybe not at the beginning, maybe it's good to avoid stuff like that triggers like that at the beginning, but like, I have to be able to deal with life. I have to be able to go to a restaurant and watch people I love Mexican food. So like my favorite restaurants, they're, they're like, have you seen the sizes of these margaritas? Like <laughs> I they look like freaking swimming pools. Yeah. So like, I have to be able to go and have fun and live my life. And I think the things that, that I'm doing with my sponsor and by showing up on AAS, um, in a lot of ways, I think that's just like going to a meeting, you come on and you read what other people have to say um you, you well, it's like respond. a meeting 24 hours a day at your yeah. fingertips yeah and then they started these zoom zoom meetings that are very similar to AA meetings where you just can share even actually in a more intimate way because they put you in a breakout room with a smaller group and um anything that that works for you books like all kinds of books have helped me podcasts even stuff that's not really addiction related like Brene Brown has been like oh I, I have shame really yeah I love that like shame yeah, yeah she really spoke to me with all of that with what I had gone through with the church and and I want to go back to that too so uh so I had mentioned that my pastor ha- has just been absolutely amazing um him and his wife. And he, he really doesn't know a ton about addiction, but he started like people confide in pastors. So they'll, they'll go and ask for prayer or whatever. And so anytime a woman goes to them and is struggling with alcoholism, he's like, here, I have this lady, I'm going to give you her number. (laughs) He he gives them my phone number. (laughs) And so it's kind of started this thing where I get to go meet women for coffee that he's passed on to me basically to help them get started. Like I, I haven't been through the steps, so I officially can't sponsor so them. So you're like doing the share. fifth step right now, but you're actually, and still doing the 12th step at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. A little cool. bit. Yeah. yeah. I try to pass them on to people who can sponsor them. And then it became that so many, so many women ended up coming out that this was an issue in their life. I think kind of maybe word of mouth, like, Oh, there's these people, this, this gal that's meeting with people. And, um, that, that he asked me if I could actually form like a small group at our church for women that are struggling with addiction within the church. And so I've just been blown away and completely humbled that you think of just the, I don't know, just like, the grossness of where I was a year ago and the hiding and the fakeness and the, 
all that shit and that God could take that and use it to help other people is just, you literally it's just amazing. were the person it's, that you despised. Yeah. And in one year, all that's turned around and you're giving back into that community that you wore these masks. I mean, you had a mask yeah. for everything. You yeah. were wearing masks at seven years old, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I was. I think, yeah, it's been a lot. I have learned more in this past year than I think I've learned in my whole life about myself and that it's okay to be exactly who I am. And if people don't like that, that's on them, not me. Like, this is who I am. And um, it, like the one word that I think I've put in my posts throughout since I've been on there is freedom. Like it's, I'll share this, this picture I have in my mind that I've had in my mind for a long time. And I think I've posted some pictures uh, kind of related to it, but it's um, like this, I just have this vision of like this dark, dingy, concrete prison cell. And I am shackled to it. Like there is no way out. I am in chains shackled to this. And that's, that's what addiction was for me. I wanted out, but I was chained to the concrete floor. And then you realize that you have the key in your pocket the whole time. And that you can, you can get out of those shackles that you can be freed from those shackles. If you just take that step and reach in your pocket and unlock them. And I, I don't think we can do that alone. I think it's taken God. It's taken really incredible people in my life. Um, it's taken uh, ruined relationships too. I mean, I had one of my best friends was like my biggest drinking buddy and she wants nothing to do with me now. Um, and I think that's because she probably feels uncomfortable about her own drinking, but um, it, it's taken like every post on IAS, um, whether I've deleted it or not. Um, it's taken screaming into my pillow. If that's what it takes some days, uh, screaming at God, if, if I'm mad at him, um, doing things that I love again. Um, so I let's talk hiking. about that part because I mean, you've struggled a lot. I mean, you've been to where you had to come to terms with the opioids. You've been now, you know, uh, where you wanted to relapse two strong times once where mm -hmm. you had that bottle in your hand and then just last mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about like, how was your life changed as far as uh, um, you're living? How are you living now? Um, I the benefits. My, yeah. My life looks completely different now. I feel like um, I actually got a, I got a job since I've been sober, which I love. I, I think the biggest thing for me is just being completely present for my, my kids and my husband. Um, I wasn't present at all in the evenings. Um, so just being there for them, um, not like you don't realize the, the mental and emotional drain uh, of all of it, the, the hiding, the obtaining the alcohol 
the hiding it, the getting rid of the empty bottles, the, um, the internal struggle of just feeling like shit about yourself because you're lying to the people that you love. Um, I mean, I felt like a shitty mom all the time. Like, yeah, people think I've got it all together, but like, I am such a horrible person. Um, I would get, I had all ranges of emotions when I was drinking. So I, I could have these, like, I could be super nice or get really like energetic and funny. But then I would also get to a point where I would go into a blind rage with my kids and uh, never, I would never physically hurt them, but just um, mentally the things I, I could say and but none of that happens anymore. I feel like my emotions are more steady. Um, this stuff with my daughter, like I'm able to be there for her. I'm able to cry with her and process what she's going through rather than being drunk in the basement. And that's huge too, because you don't, you're not carrying mm -hmm. guilt. You're not waking mm -hmm. up with guilt. Like shit, man, why yeah. not? Why am I not here for my daughter through this? Yeah, that's, that's all gone. And then, um, health like just down to like practical things like health issues like my blood pressure was through the roof when I was drinking that's like completely fine now my heart was hammering out of my chest all the time that's gone I <laughs> I like almost ruined my mattress because I sweat so much at night like just gross like stained and like just would wake up soaking wet with sweat that's all gone. Um, I actually want to exercise now. I was like, that was non-existent in my life. Um, because it was just too painful. Like you, you use all your energy just to get through the day. Yes. Um, you can't even think about exercising, but, um, e everything is different. And then feeling like I'm actually making a positive impact in other people's lives that are struggling that that's just amazing to me. Um, there's no way I could be helping other people um, when I was drinking with anything. Like I, there's a lot of selfishness wrapped up in it as well. Like I, it was all about me. It was all about me numbing my feelings um, so that I could feel better about myself, which is a total facade. Like you don't really achieve that anyway in the end. Um, so it was all focused on me and I feel like I can, I can fully focus on other people in my life. Um, I'm much calmer now. Um, Not only you like focusing on your family and stuff, you mm -hmm. got this with your church and these other women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, um, yeah, life, life is not perfect and it's not easy. And I, I still deal with, with people that irritate the shit out of me and, um, I still get in massive fights with my husband and like life happens, but I don't, I don't have to numb all those feelings. I can feel them. And I think I've written a lot about that too. It's okay to feel all that stuff. It's okay to feel like crap. It's okay. Uh, there's one, one lady that I just admire so much on IAS that told me early on, you know, it's okay to just lay in bed and stare at the wall if that's what you have to do. And I never felt like I could do that before. Like I no, that's not what a good mom does. You gotta, you gotta be productive all day long and get all this shit done. And, and that's what it's taken some days laying in my bed and staring at the wall, doing absolutely nothing. 
and just sitting with the emotions that come my way. And, and sometimes that's all you can do. Other days you'll have so much energy. You can feel like you can conquer the world. I mean, you know, you know, the, you know, the drill, the, <laughs> the whole roller coaster ride. And I yeah, hope that that week, settles out. It was uh, pretty tough for, yeah for me too. I mean, and just last week I was like soaring, man. I was like kicking mm-hmm. ass and then yeah. boom, dropped on my face. Yeah. Something that I forgot to mention that I wanted to make known too is um, just recently, it was just in actually in January, um, I went and saw just my regular doctor for a checkup and I wasn't planning to, but uh, something just came over me and I, I told her um, that I was an alcoholic and that I had been abusing opioids and she, that was a huge step too. Um, because I know like with the medical feel like that once that goes on your chart, that goes on your chart. Like, yeah, you I, just uh, cut off mm-hmm. any. Yeah. 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 And I even told her like benzos, anything I said, I don't want you to ever prescribe me any of that stuff again. And, um, that was a huge step too. And the reaction I got was not what I was expecting. She was just amazing. She was so supportive and applauded me for, for being honest and provided me with all kinds of resources, um, if I needed them. And so, and and I, I kind of put that there as like a security as well. Like if I, if I tell her, I know that I can't go down this route anymore. Um, because I don't know how it is in other countries, but here it's like your information shared among all, like, I can't just go to another doctor. It'll be on my record there too. And so, and that goes back to the honesty piece for me. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say other than I'm, I'm just so thankful for um, this opportunity. When you mentioned me coming on, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not well, a I'm your fan. kind of person. <laughs> you know, and your posts really have penetrated me. Like the mask post was just, you know, because that's me too. I understand all the wearing mm-hmm. masks mm-hmm. Um, because you have to in addiction. You have, and not, not only that through life, you know? Yeah. And I've just been a bottle of just your posts have really penetrated my heart as I've gone through IAS and I'm like, man, I, I want to have no more whining on here because hmm. she's just so powerful with everything she does, you know? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, um, I hope that even if one thing that I shared is able to help someone that that's really why I agreed to do this. Um, and especially if you're where I was, where like if, if you do have a strong faith and you're in the church community and you feel like you can't tell anyone because you're afraid of judgment, like I wanted to bring that to light as well, that there is people everywhere. Like addiction doesn't discriminate. It no. affects people in the church. It affects, I mean, we all look so different. We all come from such different backgrounds, yet it's the same, it's the same thing we're dealing with and we have to stick together on that. Well, no more wine. Check this out. I think behind closed doors, I used to think it was more people like me that, you know, have been locked up and thrown in jails or the park bench, man, 
it's in the homes where nobody can see it. Yeah. You know, it's the housewives, the professionals. Um, they're coming home and they're slamming it. And um, yeah. we've got this whole population around the world living a secret life. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's why I think your story is going to touch so many people because that's, I mean, you're the, you went to church, you were doing everything right, and you got lost in addiction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'm I'm just beyond grateful to be where I am today, to be sober one year. And I was actually really nervous about the one-year mark because I thought, well, I'm, I'm building this up in my mind, like this big goal to achieve, and then, then what? Like, then I got to stay sober forever? But um, yeah, and it's not that I have to stay sober forever as I get to. I get to have all these benefits in my life because of this. And I think just this week, I think I, it's helped change my perspective of this isn't, this isn't some negative thing that I have to work at my whole life. This is a new way of life for me. And it's opening up so many possibilities and opportunities that I never, never thought possible. And you're actually choosing to do this. It's not that you have to, you're choosing. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. So let me ask you. What are you going to do? Um, what do you do? Because I've told people I would ask this. Um, when the romanticizing the alcohol hits, what do you do? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. I I mean, I, I shared earlier that I, I prayed. Um, I romanticizing alcohol is an interesting one for me because I hear a lot of people say uh, that they get to a point where they think they can have one drink that like they've made it to that point. I've never really understood that mentality uh, because <laughs> I don't see the point in having one drink. <laughs> so I don't really romanticize that that aspect of it. I'm like, why, why the fuck would you want one drink? That does nothing. <laughs> if right. I'm going to make the choice to drink, it's going to be to get completely hammered. Um, I, I, so I don't think I romanticize the one drink thing. Ever. So romanticizing alcohol could be however you do it, because sometimes like um, it just starts tricking your mind. Like mm -hmm. all of a sudden here's a, that glass of wine, that boxed wine, whatever you drank. Yeah. Um, you just, like I saw Akko one time when she was going through some shit about the, the red glass of wine in the fire and stuff like that. And when we have these thoughts, what do we do? Do we let them grow or do we shut the friggin' thoughts down? That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely shut them down. And I think um, community with other people, whether it's the people in my house or like I've been, I didn't mention, I've been completely honest with my children about this. Um, they're all teenagers and they're faced with it every day at school. And, um, so they know I can't hide from them even. Um, so having people in place that whether it's a sponsor, um, a partner, um, going, even going on the, I, like I've gone on the, I am sober app when I'm in a place of wanting to drink and posted and sat there and just read the responses I get or read other people's posts. And it, it snaps me out of it. So I think, I think that all goes back to honesty, like be open about the struggle. Don't feel, 
don't feel defeated because you want to drink. It's going to, it's, it's inevitable. You're going to want to drink at some point. Like shitty things are going to, shitty things are going to keep happening in your life and you're going to want to drink. So. Well, you know, my mentality is like that, that, that pathway has been built. It's Mm -hmm. locked up in your subconscious. There's no key. We don't have a key to pull that out of our subconscious. Yeah. It's there we're going to have to deal with it the rest of our lives. And there's going to be times when it's going to try to creep up with on us, like it tried to do with you last week. Yeah. And I, I, I know AA is not for everybody, but there, there are AA meetings 24 hours a day. Um, I live in a bigger city where you can find them all the time. And that's helped me too. Like if I'm in a real bad place, just show up, go to a meeting, you listen, you don't even have to say anything. You just listen to other people. And every single time I've done that, when I've been in a bad place, I leave feeling like it's completely gone. Um, Just, just listening to other people, hearing their experiences. It just completely takes away the desire to drink. It does. No more whining. You did it. I did it. <laughs> you got all the way through. So let me let me say good. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me and sharing. I mean, this is like I was just like so grateful that you decided to come on, and I know it was a struggle for you too. It was. It was. And um, I know you're going to help a lot of people because there's so many people. They're hiding in their addiction behind their nice homes. They're they got the nice homes, nice cars, and everything. They're going to church. They're doing all these things right. And they're waking up at three in the morning and having to buy new mattresses all the time. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank this you. is uh, the Sober Town podcast. No more whining's daughter is going to be having brain surgery in June. So I ask that everybody say prayers for her daughter. God knows who she is. Jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety and pour the poison down the sink. Thank you very much.